Welcome to Hardcore Troubadour, where there's already some giggling going on in the background because we've got a special episode today. My name is Brian Wallace. And I'm Tyler Short. And we are joined and our, by... Yep. Tom Sheehan. Tom Sheehan. Um, this professional. is... Tyler's, Tyler was laughing because he didn't recognize me. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'm glad oh, we're somebody right steal, there. Like, how did they, they steal Brian's Zoom login and get in here? <laughs> You know, beginning of the pandemic when like people would like break into meetings and like and show like penis stuff that they should be. Yes, I, was I, was, I, I, didn't, I don't want to say it the first minute of your podcast, but yeah. Butthole penis. Yeah, Je- Jeffrey Tubin. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I hadn't even thought of Yeah. Wow. Um I always think of that when I think about inappropriate zooms. You always think about Jeffrey Tubin masturbating during a work meeting. That is um, still one of the most insane things that's ever happened. And he's fine. Um, he's fine. Still has a job. Yeah. Cancel culture is not real. Um, anyway, um, <laughs> we are doing something a little bit special today. And Tom, uh, we are honored to have you as our first guest on the podcast. I appreciate it. And unless, unless you tell people that this was such a horrible experience that you never want to do it again, we'll hopefully uh, do this again in the future. But um Tyler, what we're doing today is was kind of your brainchild, so I'd love for you to kind of frame up how we're going to be spending our time. So typically on this podcast, we just talk about Steve Earle, and um, I figured that at some point, for some people, that might get a little stale. And I had the idea of, I mean, this is just something I would do when I was a kid, was just like constantly showing music to friends or having friends show me music. And I had this idea to start having a third mic for special episodes and pick luminaries that we um, that we felt like, you know, we respected their opinions on music and possibly their open mindedness to new music, too. Um, And to talk about folk and country and, and Americana and this kind of side interest that me and you have musically that is outside of our typical scope of what people know us as being involved with and um each of us brought a record um that is either important to us or that we really like from a time i uh the stipulations were one of us brought a record from the last 10 years and that's me brian brought a record from before he was born and tom has brought a record from within his lifetime and I figured that that yeah, it was a long time, but you know, whatever. <laughs> it's 20 years. Wow. Brian's is still from before you were born. So yeah, all of us actually. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, no, I thought that would be a cool thing to, um, to kind of get a, a huge scope of, of, you know, maybe something that you were aware of when it came out or maybe something you found way later or, um, or something that, you know, was a part of your childhood growing up maybe as something your parents listen to um, around you. So that was uh, that was kind of the idea because this kind of music is music that 
people get exposed to in like very different ways, yep. whether they willingly or um, just it's pressed upon them by the radio or this, that, and the other. So uh, yeah, but yeah, I just, um, Tom, I wanted to ask you how and when did you feel okay listening to uh, soft ass music? Soft ass music. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, as far as a like, country and like Americana, my father listened to it. So being in Brooklyn, oddly enough, like he had like, so he had like a workshop in, his, in the basement, like where you do a lot of woodwork and all that sort of stuff. So of course I'd be pressed into action and be like, come, you know, hold this while I, you know, saw this or whatever. But he'd always listen. There was a country radio station in New York and we listened all the time. So like I grew up with like listening to like Merle Haggard and like Waylon Jennings and all this sort of stuff. John Schneider. I don't know if you guys remember from the um, Dukes of Hazard. Mm. Oh, okay. He had a hit song. I remember as a kid, and I remember being like, "I like Dukes of Hazard." <laughs> so I liked country from back then, and then, um, I kind of dabbled over the years. Um, I always liked kind of soft stuff, even like when I was like Mister Mosh guy. Um, but then the record, like the band that I brought to discuss today, was one of those bands that kind of helped me, like, kind of get back into it and and sort of explore what's going on in the two thousands and later. Well, that's cool. I um I have the same relationship to the band that you brought today too. Um, it kind of made me feel like uh, because it was punk adjacent. Yeah, exactly. I felt like I had a little bit more of a um, a like okay wink and a nod that is cool to uh to listen to. Um, yeah, that's really interesting because I I think a lot of a lot of people. Like for me, especially when it comes to this kind of music, I it does have kind of like a nostalgia effect for me. So like Waylon Jennings is something that like I had a real affinity for as like a nostalgia thing before yeah. I was like, a, oh, I think I'm actually a fan of this. Sure. It's like something you'd hear in like the supermarket, like walking <clears> around <throat> with the family. Like it's yeah, it's just so ingrained. Yeah. In, in, you know, being down south, I, I would imagine like, you know, I could all the pop songs that are like blaring in every target in New York City, there's an equivalent like country song that's like, you know, that I probably couldn't pick out of a hat, but you guys are like, you don't know blah 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 by, you know, Alabama or whatever. And I'd be like, no. Dude, I uh I recently discovered that my well recently and I, they've changed it since, but like a few years ago there was an hour period of time at my at my the grocery store I work at that just played country music. And oh. Steve Steve Earle was one of the things that like alerted me that like Guitar Town was playing one day. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? Like I know this song. And somebody was like, oh yeah, like from six to seven every day it's just country music. We don't know why. Is it programmed by like corporate? Yeah, who's yeah. the DJ for the store? I don't yeah. I don't understand because like for the rest of the day it's like pop music. I mean White Reaper plays, like Turnstile plays. I texted you when I was like yeah. I was like yeah. Turnstile's playing over the Do you think White Reaper right White Reaper just plays in Louisville or do you think they play all over? I I'm curious honestly. I don't yeah. know. And their New York show was mobbed. So maybe sure. it is all over. Yeah, yeah could be I, all over now. Could be all over. Well, Tom, I I appreciated that too because yeah, like Tyler and I obviously well i grew up in the deep south tyler grew up at sort of that cross section of south and midwest um that is louisville but especially you know for someone born and raised in brooklyn and as your father was too um it's just cool to know you know like there's 
shit that people get into, even if it's not sort of like the norm around, right? Because that was the other thing too. Like at that time, I know there's been a, a good period of time that there's been no country music stations like on FM in New York City. Um, but even right, during you know, that, yeah, right. Super popular. But even at that time when you were a kid, there being kind of like one and in the South, it's often like every other station you dial into. Um, right, right, right. It was like a crappy AM station. Right. Um, like 90% sure, you know, that, you know, yeah. it sounded crackly and, but that's, and it made sense for the music too at the time too. Yeah, totally. If it was warm. You'd be like, this is weird. I want to hear this on a crackly radio. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In Brooklyn. That totally makes sense. That's amazing. Well, Tom, what record did you bring for us today? I brought Lucero's That Much Further West, which is an important record. I think it's it, not that it played a huge role in our friendship, but me and Brian definitely bonded over our love for Lucero. Yes. Now that I've known Brian for upwards of almost 20 years, probably, thereabout. Yeah, years. close to it. I was telling yeah. Tyler earlier that one About of the your first things I remember us doing was going <laughs> to one of those Lucero boat shows together which were like when i try to explain it to people they're like wait what and i'm like it's awesome yeah <laughs> it, my favorite ways of seeing them was probably were probably on those boats they used to do it like once a year here at least yeah like every summer so yeah, yeah i mean you want to go into it yeah let's do it like so all of our friends like all the hardcore kids that we hung out with loved lucero for whatever reason like michelle like and a bunch of people so we'd all go and they'd have different openers. Um, and and so like one time we went and the opener was Justin Towns Earl. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's amazing. Amazing. And like we didn't, I, all I knew, all my female friends were like, I love this man. And whoever I was with, probably Brian, we were trying to figure out if he had the judge hammers on his, fr- his picking hand. Yeah. And he does, but they're not judge hammers. We're like, yo, tell me this dude's like a fucking hardcore. And like, we didn't put together like, Steve Earle, Town Van Zandt. We were just like, this guy's really good. Mm. And he was like an old school kind of, you know, country singer. We're like, what is this? Tim Barry opened one. Yeah. I, I feel like Frank, Frank Turner opened once, I think. Frank Turner played one. Yeah. Uh, but like, it, it's what they do is they, you get on a boat, a relatively small boat, probably fits maybe 200 people, 300 people. It's just a dance floor and like, a, you know, you could stand upstairs. And it goes around the island of Manhattan for like two and a half hours. And literally the bands play like the second it pulls out of pulls away from the pier bands start. And then it's, and it, they play all the way until they get back, which is also good for some of those Lucero shows who they didn't really have a good, um, good grasp on time sometimes. <laughs> yes. And be like, oh, three hours. And like, it's getting messy. This was like, we start at nine o'clock and we have to be done by 11. And it was awesome. And you, you know, you go past the Statue of Liberty, you get to see the city from the, from the rivers. It's, it's a really, I mean, if they do it again, I would totally do it again. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. It's like a cool way to see it. That's you know, awesome. Yeah. And, it, and even aside from, you know, Lucero and other bands like that, uh, they do all kinds of boat shows. I mean, there was a, there was a hate breed boat show last I say, year. I heard about that. Yeah. Um, I was at that with hate breed score on a boat. Hell yeah. That's no one so went over. Funny. No one went over. You no got to love it. I mean, it's really just no carrying, one went over. <laughs> it's carrying on uh, the rabies tradition of hardcore kids navigating the New York Harbor. Um, exactly. You know, I always think about that. Why is the captain such a meanie? Um, 
if you don't know what I'm referring to, then you need to get into Axe to Grind's back catalog. Um, but yeah. Oh, that was, that was, um, um, oh my God. Our friend Jules. from Alone, yeah, from Alone in a Crowd, um, talking about rabies working on the ship or on, you know, on the. Oh, on the I do remember that now. Yeah, That's yeah, so yeah. fucking funny. Yeah, he brought, like, Jules brought rabies around. And, like, everyone was like, hey, he's the coolest. <laughs> he was. Absolutely. Like, um, but Tom, you mentioned, I mean, it makes sense, right? All of us having this connection to Lucero. I mean, because I can, you know, say they're, they're still very much punk adjacent, but I can say um, as a person who was literally at their first ever show at the healing space in Memphis for the first couple of years, they played punk shows. Um, yeah. We've got, you know, Ben Nichols, the vocalist was in a, a punk band from Arkansas called red 40 that I, you know, had some, had a decent following for the time um, in the mid to late nineties. And then Brian Venable, the guitar player, um, he's got all kinds of tattoos that tell stories, including a stomp crew tattoo, um, which was raids like hardline crew in the late eighties and early nineties in Memphis. It blows my mind. This is my yeah. favorite piece of lore. So yeah. insane. So yeah. But then that was, and I first knew Brian and this is me as a, like, I've talked to Tom about this as a, you know, younger kid he worked at Last Chance Records, which was sort of the main like hardcore and punk record store in Memphis at the time. And um, it was, he was one of those dudes where as like a 16 year old, like just getting into stuff and using whatever money I had to go and buy records. I was always like very curious for his recommendations, but also like secretly feeling very judged, you know? And I have a, I do have one funny story it was really hard to find the raid stuff for a long time, even in Memphis um, until victory put out that like hands off the animals compilation. That was like everything. And they had copies of that CD at last chance. And I went to buy it. And he kind of gave me a little bit of like a, what do you know about this kind of thing? And I was like, well, um, you know, and then he, you know, talks about like, these are my friends. I was like, I'm one of the, you know, I'm doing the gang vocals on some of these songs. Like I was there. And then um, I think enough time has passed that uh, he wouldn't mind me telling this, uh, gave me the CD and said, the dudes in the band will never see a dime from this. Just take it. Um, that's fucking so, awesome. So that's that fucking rules. So yeah, they are very much of our community. And even as, I mean, yeah, we're talking about their first show was in 98. Um, so it was actually one of my first shows too. I had only been to a handful at that point, but, um, this, even this particular record, um, which is one of the ones that really got them like on the map, it's been 20 years now, right? Didn't this, this came out in 03. Yeah. Yeah. I just looked honestly. Yeah. 03. Cause I was curious. I, for some reason, I think I misordered these. I thought that this was the first Lucera record, but the self-titled is, which means that this is the third LP. The yeah. yeah, this this the self-title was the first one I heard. And I want to say this, I want to say I actually somehow heard the Lucero records in order. Like, but I got into it in oh six, oh seven. Mm -hmm. I can remember though, even though um it's punk adjacent, the punk house I was living at at the time, I was judged and uh and um put down for uh coming home being like have you guys heard this lucero band boo they didn't Pretty know what they were talking about <laughs> and uh all of, 
yeah. all my uh DIY punk um uh gray water um roommates um judged me and told me I was a poser. <laughs> well, I was about to say, did they know that on Lucero's first seven inch they covered a jawbreaker song? But the kind of people that would call other people a poser might not have liked that either. So yeah, no, know. sure. Yeah. Um yeah, so we, were a DIY band, right? I mean, they were a DIY band for a long time. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Documentary, them, yeah. yeah. They and they, I mean, they played punk shows because that's where they could play. That's what they knew, right? And yeah. it, I remember a few different times, like going to see them, and it would be like in between heavier bands, and everybody would just like sit on the floor of like a space, but you know, like out of, not out of like mm -hmm. disrespect. It's like. <clears throat> let's sit and watch the show because the other thing is some of the more rocking songs didn't come until later. Like if you listen to yeah. right. the, the stuff that's on the attic tapes, which is a right. compilation of the earlier stuff. <clears throat> a lot of the early songs were like more on the like slower mellow vibe. And they had a, a violin player at the time too, before kind mm -hmm. of the, <clears throat> you know, like the core four was solidified that kind of made up these first few LPs and, and, and also before they added, you know, keys, horns and all the other stuff that they brought on later. Dude, so oh, yeah. much shit on later. It's crazy. Yeah. You know, one thing I realized, <laughs> Brian Venable didn't play on his record. He didn't. He had just I didn't realize that. I believe Steve Selvage, who is now in the hold steady, um, was, I don't know if he played on it, but I know he was at least toured on this. Um, mm. because Brian like had, I think officially he just like took a break. Like, I don't know if he was ever like a hundred percent out, but right, he right. had left the band because they were doing some just grueling touring um, in those days. I mean, still are frankly, but like, especially then. And I remember Steve Selvage, who was in a band from Memphis called big ass truck, um, which it's a good, yeah. I, I remember in the past feeling kind of embarrassed about that name, but now I think it's great. They're a good band. Big ass truck. Um, yeah, big ass truck. He at least filled in on some of the tours, if not on the actual record. And now, just all these years later, he's one of, like he's a fucking guitar wizard. So he does like session playing and stuff. Right, right. But he then became like at least a touring member of the Hold Steady. Um, right. Which there's another connection there too, because right, Ben Nichols is sang on a Hold Steady song. Sequester in Memphis. Yeah, that's right. So, so yeah. And again, never Hold... actually never listened to the Hold Steady before. Worth and, it? They're great. They're okay. great. And another band that comes from our world, they reference, uh, you know, Youth of Today and Shelter and yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's a song. Sorry. Oh, we can go back to that. I'll, I'll download that shit. Fine. Yeah. I'll say, yeah, they, they <clears throat> quite honestly, I feel like they took a very, a very similar career arc to the, to Lucero. Like there were like three or four records in a row. You're like, how are you writing stuff this good? And then it just kind of. Yeah. Solely. Faded, trying to do too much sometimes maybe maybe yeah. and then you get older and you i mean i get it i mean yeah but when I you're the early lucera records are just right because we're talking about a couple of bands that had like winning streaks you know like four or five lps straight which is like puts them in the you know the 0.01 percent right to be able to do that with that much material over time right uh, so it makes sense that there would be a little drop off or some stuff that just doesn't hit in the same way. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm going to save this shit for later. Hell yeah. Dude, do you do Spotify? Oh yeah. Will it burn your phone to the ground or it's, it's on, it's on an iPod. Look at this guy. It's, it's on, on an iPod, iPod with a Wi-Fi connection. <laughs> yeah. I have a good playlist for you. I'll send it to you. All right. Do that.
Yeah, 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 Tom makes it's, great it's very Bruce Springsteen, okay. sort of like Americana adjacent. It's not, you know. Um, you're going to like it. You're going to like it. I guarantee I've, I've known the band name forever. <laughs> um, yo, um, so, so Tom, with, with this That Much Further West, um, yes. what, uh, what, what are your feelings on this record? Well, this is like the first record, Lucero record, that I was like present for. Like I had found them in between Tennessee and this. Like those earlier, like that first record wasn't really, I mean, it must have been around, but like it was not on my radar at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it wasn't and distributed then, as well either. Like no. Yeah. And then I remember hearing like, I think it was like Sweet Little Thing or something or Nights Like These from the first, uh, the Tennessee record. I was like, this band's really good. And then this record came out. And I was like, holy crap. You know, and then it's one of those records that it's like so ingrained. Like I don't listen to it anymore because I know it from like, from front to back. And like listening to it like in preparation for this, it's so front loaded with slow, sad songs. And then it hits Tears Don't Matter Much, Tonight's Not Gonna Be Good. Like then it hits like the more upbeat stuff, which is what mm-hmm. they got known for. Yeah. You know, PBR like it's getting thrown yeah, around. Raucous, so. raucous uh bar room. Nuts. Fans. Awesome. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And we were straight edge dudes being like, this sucks. Uh- I hate it. <laughs> oh, I, lo- I, I love it. I, I, any, any time I've seen Lucero, if I, if I leave without smelling awful, like, like PBR, then yeah, you I feel like I job. didn't have fun. Well, yeah. And to that point too is, I mean, speaking of PBR, this, 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 I love these records, but you know, to the the point y'all made earlier, like it's a nostalgia thing for me, and I'm even realizing the nostalgia for me is being like what I was doing in my life at that point because. This one up until Nobody's Darlings, I still lived in Memphis. So mm-hmm. I was oh, right. I was there. And it was after that, um, actually pretty soon after Nobody's Darlings came out is when I moved to New York in 2005. And so, you know, being there for this, the other thing that I remember is, you know, they were on like a very quickly, like, every, you know, increasing arc of popularity that I remembered where it went from. This is a punk adjacent country band to like i remember um i was talking to a buddy of mine about this i their the record release show for the self-titled album their first lp i had to get snuck in because it was in an 18 and over place and i was 17 um and so i had like a friend who was playing or whatever that let me help haul gear in um, from one of the opening bands because they were like we didn't know anybody at this club and that was kind of my first time being like, oh, these guys are getting huge, but it was still all like hip kids. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like right. either oh. either punk, you know, alt kids, punks, you know, indie rock kids, garage, like everybody was in on it, right? From Tennessee, and I think this is probably the record where it solidified, you would start seeing a lot of like straight up frat dudes at the shows. Um, yeah. And I mean, obviously it's a sign of like, how fucking good they are and how much like universal appeal these songs have. Right. But I definitely remember being kind of a part of this. Like there was a time in my life that I would never miss a Lucero show in Memphis. And around this time it was sort of like, well, where is it? And if it's at this place, yeah, we're all Mm -hmm. going. And if it's at this place, it's like, dude, it's just going to be bros nonstop, man. Like let them, you know? And so it was, it was like that where, this record was the first one that got popular enough that people who had no connection to any kind of underground music um, 
were really getting into it. Yeah, I unfortunately missed that whole that whole era of Lucero and the frat dudes were well established by the time <laughs> I was Brutal. seeing them. They they are I think Lucero is the first band I ever heard that was like solidly an alt country band. Like I'd never heard that term before used before I I heard Lucera. Right, so, right. Yeah, it was like that that no alternative record, right? Which was big. Was no, that was that no depression? No depression. No, no. It was the Uncle Tupelo record. That's kind of where the yeah, yeah. right. And then there's like Sunvolt and all that sort of stuff, which I think right. you know. And I honestly just got into Sunvolt and Wilco in like the last like three or four years. Yeah, and Wilco nowadays is not anything like, They're like the arena rock, rock band. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I only like one record. I can't do it. Yeah. I mean, I like Uncle Tupelo better than all of them, but that's just kind of my taste. You know what I mean? Um, but it is interesting to like think about. Um, yeah. Just this one, that flavor of like alt. And then just for them as a band, I think to go from like, they knew the dynamic was changing too, like at their shows. Right. Yeah. And, and kind of like one of those where you're like, huh, well, if you want to actually make a living off of this, which, you know, they've been able to do for a while, like you gotta, you gotta take the big shows. And they were just highly, highly in demand. And at this point it was too, when they were like, there's a big, um, oh, I had a story I was going to tell. Sorry. I was like, I totally forgot. I went to one of those shows at the Young Avenue Deli in Memphis, which tended to be a a really kind of like fratty place. Um, No matter, no matter who was playing. But okay. I have a memory of going to one of those shows right around this time. It might've been a little bit after this record came out and there was a drunk, like very basic sorority girl up front, slamming her hand on the stage, yelling, Lucero, Lucero, Lucero. <laughs> <laughs> and I just like, I, I don't remember anything else about that show except that girl mispronouncing the name and just doing it over and over and over again. Oh. Dude, the the last Crazy Fest when they tried to bring it back, Lucero played, yeah. and this was like after that. Um, God, the 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 record that sounds like Bruce Springsteen with the horns and whatnot, the first yeah. one of those. Uh, Overton Rebels Park, and... Overton, no yeah. Overton Park. I think. Overton, yeah. Which uh, used to be, like... That was their address, actually. That's the oh really? They had a house together, yeah, a lot. So they played and there was some guy shirtless running around it's this outdoor like gravel pit like venue um there's some guy running around shirtless screaming hearts on fire hearts on fire (laughs) over and over and over again at one point one of my friends who's not familiar with Lucero or whatever looked at me and went, is that like a lyric or a song? I said, no, I don't know what that could be yelling about. Trying to take a shirt off. His heart was on fire. I don't know. It was he, was, he was asking for medical assistance. And you all yeah, my heart's on fire. <laughs> Dude, he was doing this for 30 minutes. You would you would just randomly, it would get quiet and you'd hear him like 40, 50 feet away yelling it again. And then he'd be it's right next to you yelling it. And Amazing. at times he'd be in a full sprint. It was so weird. It was incredible, though. It was, it was. I honestly don't remember anything else from that set except for Hearts on Fire guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all those stories. There's like, and then they become inside jokes with your friends, and so much, yeah. so much both bullshit, but also hilarious stuff comes from when people who don't know what's up get into a hardcore or punk space. Oh, like, yeah. 
I'm just, I, I, I always think about as just one little quick story, this like totally obliterated dude that showed up to a DIY show in Memphis and was like, you know, push moshing with a cigarette, you know, and, um, you know, had to be told once like, cool it, you can't smoke in here, blah, blah, blah. And then like, does it again. And so we're about to kick him out. He grabs the mic. Cause it's, you know, there's no stage. It's like right in front of him. And he goes, man, I thought y'all was punks. <laughs> and as, <laughs> like, as my friend is trying to like drag him out. So that became the thing forever. Is anytime somebody did like, man, I thought y'all was punks. <laughs> because punks means badass. no rules, right? Fuck. Yeah, dude. Right, of course. Yeah. And a funny, I have a story too, which is, which is actually the second, the first time I was, uh, someone thought I was a bouncer. <laughs> Great. Um, I don't know, Brian, if you came to the show, they played, Lucero played this place called Boulevard, which was like down Bowery, like closer to Chinatown. Like, a, I don't, I don't think I went dance to club. Yeah, no, I wasn't and at this one. Bob and I were there, my old roommate, Bob, and Bob's like got fucking neck tattoos and face tattoos and stuff and head tattoos. And uh, my friend, our friend, Kate, I don't know if you remember, Caitlin was there mm -hmm. with um, some friends of hers. And the friend goes, who, who are you here with? And she points at Bob and I. And he goes, Jesus, I thought those were the bouncers. <laughs> <laughs> who that person was? Who was that person that shaded me thinking that I was just a random bouncer and not a punk hardcore kid? Laura Jane Grace. Wow. Yeah, and then the person that was with her was that uh, the guy um, Steak Mountain, who like did all like the artwork for like a lot of the, like um, a lot of the like against me and a lot of the uh, what you call it? Uh, what's the uh, the Florida label? The, uh, uh, no idea. Yes, yeah. a lot of that stuff. And he was like, <clears throat> like pretty much like, yo, you're a fucking idiot. Gainesville like, Luminaries. Like, yeah. So I was that was the first time that I was considered about. So Tyler, there's the, the trend is there's a track is, record on this. I feel but like, better now. Very, very charismatic front people mistake Tom for a bouncer. So you you and against me, basically. You're in good company, right? Right. right. I mean, you know, I didn't have gray in my beard. I was like 30. But uh -huh. but I guess the difference well, you're still, is you're still tall though. You know, they didn't um I'm a big I was always been big. A few a few months before that, Laura Jane Grace did not, to my knowledge, have Tom do a guest spot on an Against Me record. Uh -huh. um, so yeah. there right. there is a little bit of a difference there, I'd say. It's uh -huh. weird, right? Right. And, I'm gonna uh, fucking kill myself. For those of you who don't know, Tyler, this is an embarrassing story for everybody. Yeah, I mean, I, we don't need to go into the details, but I think we've just talked around it enough. Tyler um, looked straight at Tom. In a dark club, to be fair. Playing Brooklyn. Yeah. Inclination's playing in Brooklyn with Incendiary. We've been texting about me doing the part uh -huh. that I did on their record live. Um, That's right. May, if I may be so bold, one of the hits. That's right. It is the hit. It's not the hit. There's a, the other Thoughts and Prayers is the hit. But That's it's, just because it's, it has a music video. And they didn't do a music video because I'm old. That's why. It's, it's <laughs> Um, so I'm, you know, standing on the, the, the stairs waiting to go up. I'm with Brian, who's going to do the, do the, um, what part were you doing? Um, did you do magnitude or? Ryan, no. Yeah. Ryan. closer. Ryan's yeah, I did Ryan's part. And our yeah. friend Eric was going to do the magnitude. Russ's part. Magnet, yeah. Russ from Russ magnitude. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, you know, we're trying to talk to the bouncer, the actual bouncer. Uh-huh. 
Uh-huh. Who I walked like, hey, right by. Right. And this motherfucker right here, Tyler, uh-huh. talks, talks to me and goes, hey, those two guys are going to come up and, like, do a part. So, like, it's cool. Like, they're allowed up on stage. Gonna, they're going to, like, sing a part. And, like, was talking to me. Like, I was stopping our friend Eric and Brian from getting up on the stage, not and realizing that I was also waiting to do a part. The first song you, that you did. What did you say to me, though? I think you said, like, some shit like, oh, yeah, I am too. And I was like. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I know, me too, or something. Oh, You're like, no, no, no. Like, those two dudes. No. I was like, <laughs> yeah. When you said, I did, yeah, that me like too. a Brooklyn attitude. Like, nah, man, I know. Yeah. My, my, my heart literally fell out for a second and i, I like, felt so fucking go, stupid not really like chubby don't crack i look the same he looks the same and i was like Yo. although he also walked right by me in when we went to that show that's amazing i don't mm. remember that you just we get went, in the zone when we came to, went to the one step closer show in the fucking middle of nowhere yeah, yeah, no. And me and in, Tom drove through the snow to come see your ass there. All right. Yeah, and you like walked right by me. I was like, "Yeah, fuck this guy." You were at that show too. Yes. We, me, you, and Jerry. Yeah, we fucking me, talked at that show. Did we talk at that show? Yes. I don't even remember. But do you need a full <laughs> scan? Like, are we? Uh, should, uh, should we be worried? You don't remember my face? Yeah. We talked at the Knock Loose Record Re- Show. Yeah. Which was like a couple of years. It was like I was still chubby and I still had a beard. And Dude, it was this not- is. Black. This is early onset dementia, Tyler. I'm worried about yeah, you. Yeah, I mean, no. I mean, CTE is going to happen to me. Yeah. It's... Yeah, I mean, you, he he pulled his uh, fucking HDMI, HDMI at, at LDB yep. the other day, too. Uh-huh. Dislocated yep. his USB. <laughs> he had a percentage of how many bands he moshed for. Yeah, 53% this year. 53? What are you, slacking? I know, dude. The fact that I didn't hit 60, I was pretty de- devastated. I think it was 60 was last year. 75. Well, I dislocated my shoulder. I don't know that took did. me out for like three bands. Would you do I like look- the lead? I put it like popped it back in. Like, how do you? It just that's, rolled back in. That's right. That's what he. He's like, it took me out for three bands, and I would be like, it took me out for three years. I was traumatized. <laughs> yeah, like I, I didn't, stopped, yeah, I didn't I run. It took me a while to come back. I had to do exposure therapy. You know. <laughs> <laughs> we so should Lucero. talk about Lucero. Yeah. 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 Good. Well, Lucero. Yeah, so. So I want to I want to talk music. Um, one of the things that sticks out on this record that I like a lot is the drums. Yes, I think it's because they sound like hardcore drums. Hmm. Yeah, I like the that, tempo, I think the tempo plays... changes and all that stuff. Right, Barry. Yeah, it just that's that's my big takeaway from this record specifically. Like other Lucero records, do it too, but this one like specifically has like a punk feel to it in a way that I don't think all of them do. Yeah, I think this is the record that he probably really kind of came into his own in, in playing, right? I mean, I feel like the other records are like, <clears throat> he's just kind of like an accompaniment, but this is like, like, you know, those songs, like the guitar riff starts, but then they come in and he's like playing a, like a punk beat. Yeah. Yes. Like, totally. Country riff. It's like, totally. what is happening? Like, I'm not, you know, like, um, yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, Roy Berry, you know, is a great drummer and adds so much to their kind of sound. Um, I don't know if I've ever seen them play with John Stubblefield with uh, an upright bass. Mm, yeah, he used to I've do it never quite seen a bit, that. Yeah. but he used to, yeah, yeah. which I know. Um, but he, you know, he always added to it. He's also, I Brian was at the show with me when he uh, 
someone's like trying to grab at uh, Ben or something, and he goes, "Hey, man, take it easy. That's a money maker." <laughs> no, he's he's a meal ticket, I think. That's my meal ticket. Yeah, that's, that's my, my meal ticket. That's fucking badass. Um, but yeah, I think the drums on this are great. The refs are great. Um, looking back at their catalog, I feel like this is probably their strongest record from first track to last. I agree. I think this is my favorite Lucero record. This because is... like I go to Tennessee, but then you go back, you're like, oh, there's some stuff I don't need on Tennessee. Or there's some stuff I don't need on Nobody's Darlings. Or I mean, I go further into the catalog than a lot of folks, but like I think from beginning to end, like this this record's pretty perfect. You I know, think. yeah. Now that you say that, I think I've always I put Tennessee at the top of the heap for me, but there are more songs I would lose on Tennessee than this record. Yeah. Which is shocking. Yeah. When you actually look at it, you're like, oh. You know, like, there's some stuff on there. You're like, oh, I would skip this, or I would be cool with not seeing this live. But like, I could see this whole record live. And be like, this is dope. Yeah, yeah. I think there, totally. there's only one skipper on this record for me. What would it be? It is. Um, fuck. Just out of curiosity. There's not a song called "Fuck" on the record, Tyler. No, I think, I think it's I "Sad it. and Lonely." I think "Sad and Lonely" is the one I would what? say. What? Pretty great song. That's a great song. Yeah. Um, I loved um, Tears Don't Matter Much because it hipped me to um, uh, Corey Brandon. That's what's up. Who I didn't really know. I didn't know the other folks on that he mentions on the record. But I also remember it always reminds me of Brian Wallace because just another Southern boy dreams of nights in NYC. And like every time they play that, we'd all kind of like spaz out a little bit. Freak Dude, out. <laughs> it's like good. I mean, Not yeah. that word. Freak out. Not spaz. Freak out. And I sing along, I still sing along. Sing along. <laughs> Which, like Corey Brown's got an evil streak, got Dude. away with words that'll bring you to your knees. He Dude. can play the wildest show, but he can uh, sing so sweet. It's like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It is, it is a hit. And I have to tell you, I realized on thinking about this, I know at least three people that have Tears Don't Matter Much tattoos. Um, really? Yeah. And if you think about it, I'm, I'm sure there's actually a lot more. It's kind of like, it's a really perfect cadence, you know, to go as like a banner on something, right? Oh, of course, um, of course. On, on a lot of different things. But yeah, man, I mean, this is my song. And it was also at this point, you know, like I said, I was living in Memphis. I had recently been to New York for the first time um, with my old man, Half Acre Gun Room. We played a show at Chennai, which, um, you know, nobody came to because nobody knew who we were and we're just a bunch of randos. But I was stoked because Jeff Buckley had made a live record at Chennai, um, <clears throat> which is no longer there. Um, it hasn't been for a long time, but, um, it was my first time and I was, you know, I'm the stereotypical like yokel that was like hooked from the start staring at everything. And then just another Southern boy who dreams of nights in NYC. I was like, this is, this is me. And then I made that dream come true two years later. And my life has been downhill ever since. That's a lie. <laughs> no, I you have a I, wonderful family. I stay winning, motherfuckers. Is what you do. What you have a great, you have, you've had a great run. I've had a great run, you know. And I was, I'm, I'm coming up on, um, what is it? So this is 18 years that I've been here now. Yeah. Wow. So still, you know, almost to the point where I'll, I'll have been here for longer than I lived down there, uh, but not quite. Yeah, so sooner or later it's going to be a tipping point. You're like, nope, now I'm a New Yorker specifically. Yeah. Oh, he's a New Yorker now. I mean, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm not a native New Yorker, but I'm raising a native New Yorker. So there's that. Damn right, my little buddy. Yeah. 
but yeah, I think this record was like incredibly important in a lot of our friendships and a lot of, you know, going to see them was such a blast. Um, you know, maybe next time they come around, we'll go and see. They probably don't play a lot of these songs anymore. I saw some more recent set lists and they really don't. Yeah. No. I, I always see them play Tears Don't Matter much, at least. I mean, that's, yeah. I've seen them. They've it's a hit. It's a legit hit. Least. It's it's one of the. I don't know songs. if I've ever seen any of the other songs off this record now that we're talking about it. It's been a oh, while. Tonight's not gonna be good. Yeah, like yeah, they would always do. Tonight's not going to be good. I would often hear them do. Um, that's my that's that's my favorite song in this record. The greats. Oh my god. Yeah, it's a real barroom fucking brawler, man. Yeah, I don't get in I, fights, but I love like, songs about fighting. Yeah, I mean, you oh, beat yeah. the shit out of yourself, so that yeah. you don't need to get in a fight. Dude, my favorite bands and my favorite records are songs about fighting and drinking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Things I, I I don't do much. I don't drink yeah. at all. <laughs> but like this whole record is about like I mean that's always pretty much being like that girl he pretty much everyone being in love with Ben Ben Nichols and like some dudes are gonna beat him up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I it's, mean it's, it's probably true. I mean every woman I've known that's ever like Lucero is like and he also he's like one of the examples I give that like hardcore punk people are the best songwriters. Hundred percent. In like outside of hardcore and punk. Like if you like any like rock band that in the last 20 years 25 years that you go roots and hardcore you can write a song man it's always like oh you grew up listening to the black flag you know mm, like, yep. even like i know he's he's a shitty person and but like like whiskey town like ryan adams like those songs i mean yep when he got to it some of the best fun countries you know what i mean absolutely i, think, I mean he's a piece of shit but like i think <laughs> yeah. you know maybe jason isbell might not have been that punk of jace but everyone else yeah you know it's pretty close yeah I've, I've, 99 percent of the time i feel like yeah. you 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 follow the through lines and it'll have been they were into hardcore they were in a hardcore band it was something you know right or just like one of those whacked out music people that are like oh you like everything so you're familiar with the brevity and yeah like right or to be like, yeah, meeting somebody that wasn't a hardcore kid but knows the bad brains just because of how fucking like unique they prolific were. Prolific they were. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know? Right, right. Um, right on. I mean, I think and even outside of the world of, you know, like more country and Americana, but all kinds of stuff. Julian Baker's another example. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, right. you know, also from Memphis, punk roots. Um, and you know, you would hear her and not immediately know that, but then once you figure it out, it makes so much sense. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's like Ben Gibbard, like, you know, from mm-hmm. Death Cab and Postal Service. He's like, you know, we talked about him going to see Trial and Stream. And I was like, it's incredible. It's happening. That's like, fucking wild. Then he, he called Undertow the, the Velvet Underground of Seattle. <laughs> That's fucking cool. And I was like, actually. I need to remember this to tell Pettibone because Pettibone is going to actually shit his pants when I tell him that the dude for, who's selling out two nights at the Key Arena or whatever it's called now in. Yeah. Sold out the garden for two nights is like, dude. I helped some guy find uh, the food for their green room at work one day. <laughs> no shit. Very it's nice. Like a, very nice dudes. Yeah, looking at their groceries, I uh, I respected it. <laughs> nice, nice. That a good. They had a nice rider. I, I, yeah. I'm not surprised. It wasn't too ridiculous. It was good food. Oh, no. Um, but yeah, I think like this band sort of. With, that kind of helped me expand like my palette in terms of like country music and kind of because I feel like and correct me if I'm wrong since you guys are primarily southern and midwestern folks 
Like, I feel like the stuff that's adjacent to this is more country than country now. Like, than actual what is, goes by country now. In a lot of ways. Yeah. Like, this is closer to Merle Haggard than it is oh. to like, Oh yeah, no. 100%. What's like? What? Yeah, no. Pop country. What's considered what's, country what's, music now is not. Yeah, it's trash. It's though. total. And it, yeah. I mean, it'll tell you something too that even not just this, but even you know another artist that we're going to talk about, who's like you know a platinum selling millions of streams, like Sturgill Simpson, right? He'll he'll win a Grammy from for an album, but the Country Music Awards didn't even invite him in. I remember yeah. that story from a few years ago where he. Um, he took it in stride and he in Nashville, he busked on the street outside of the the country music awards because they hadn't invited him or nominated him for anything. Meanwhile, that album, you know, sold even in a day when record sales aren't huge, so many yeah. copies and ended up right. winning a Grammy. Um funny. Beyond that. and being like nominated, I think it won Best Country, but nominated for album of the year, even. What a G. Um, yeah. So yeah. Was I, that this record? It was this, yeah, Sailor's Guide to Earth, I think, um, if I remember correctly. but um, I think it did, yeah. Yeah, but Tom, no, you are 100% spot on, man. Um, like, I like that band, like Ameri- um, American Aquarium, mm-hmm. and like John Moreland, and like all that sort of stuff. I mean, John Moreland has a Jane Doe tattoo on his hand, so he's definitely hard to Really? Remember. I didn't know that. Yeah, That's yeah awesome. he's like way in the core. Um, but like, I feel like a lot of those folks are like, more country than like whoever's considered country now. Fucking yeah, I, honestly, I don't yeah. even know. I don't even. I mean, but I mean, they'll sell out like a baseball stadium in Queens. So like, they're doing something. No, who, who, the, like, the country people playing five hundred caps are the real ones. <laughs> yeah, that's what it feels like. You know. Do you uh do you guys have any other songs you want to talk about on this record? I mean. I could talk about any of them. Um, I was going to say, because because we talked about Tears Don't Matter Much and Tonight Ain't Going to Be Good. I t- one song that I don't think many years ago always caught my attention, but did on this re-listen was Mine Tonight, the second track. Um, and I just r- realized it's sort of like that nostalgia piece. Like I just really dug, um, there's like a simple yet haunting way that the guitars work together. And I had also never realized until now when I think of, there's a line about like, you know, record player playing like, and you're at the kitchen table or something. I always in my head picture an ex's apartment in Memphis where like, that was the very setup. Her turntable was on like a shelf in her kitchen in this tiny place we would always listen to rec we'd have to like go into the kitchen to like flip records or whatever and sit at her table and i was like oh no wonder this is connecting you know what i mean that was like 20 20 years ago and the guy that wrote this song like you know i was never super like tight with any of those dudes and i I mean some of it was just i was intimidated by them i'm like they are i i more than could have been every interaction we've had has been super positive but like you know this feeling of like they're from, they're from, they're from our scene. They're from where I'm from. You know what I mean? And right, right from this perspective. So yeah, I, I, I don't have a skipper on this record, but mine tonight is a song that I wouldn't have said was like one of my more notable tracks earlier, but on this listen really stuck out for me. I did. Yeah. Uh, cause, cause I'll go, I, I went through and just in case we talked about any of them in particular, I wrote a little thing 
a thought on one of them, but one very specific thing that I have a nostalgia thing for mine tonight. I can remember falling asleep to this record and this song in particular my first year at college. I had like a go to sleep playlist on my desktop computer that had zero internet access. So the way I got music onto it was by uploading CDs to it yep. and then typing in the titles. Wow. <laughs> and, and this is, you know, 2008 or so. So like internet was a thing. I just didn't feel like having and, internet on this computer and, and had been for a very long time at that point. Yes. Yes. The internet was really had been Al Gore had done his job. Already. It was going strong. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, like I, I think like this, like I can remember like Alkaline Trio and Jawbreaker being on that playlist too. And like that playlist being like kind of, that was like the time when I like got way more into Lucero and I also like got into Alkaline Trio for the first time in my life. So like this song kind of has like a little through line for me for a bunch of, uh, a bunch of sad times of my little lonely, uh, you know, college uh college life where i uh felt you know like i didn't belong anywhere still like <laughs> do you still fall do you fall asleep like when like you hear like if you go see alkaline trio do you like do they start you just like <laughs> not out like it's like oh they, like how kids like fall asleep no i don't think do i have any psychosomatic uh reactions yeah, to these songs i mean it continues the trend though that uh, as straight edge kids all of our favorite songwriters are alcoholics um oh yeah yeah you want to talk about I alkaline trio you got the you got the right guy right here. It's true, it's true. And I think the t- the title track from this record is great, and it's an awesome way to start a record. Oh, mm-hmm. dude, incredible opening track. It's they, slow, and then it picks up, and it's like perfect. Yeah, they just nail opening records. Period, though. True. Mm, yeah, like every Lucero record just about has a badass opening song, or a really perfect opening song for what that record does. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. just so good. The, the, oof, the way it comes in. Um, the only one I wanted to spotlight that we hadn't talked about was Hate and Jealousy. It's the heaviest song in the Dude, record. that riff. Yeah. It's so badass. You know Beavis and Butthead joined the... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, Jealousy. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck yes. Apparently yeah. that was a nod to I was when I was doing my research for the podcast. It was uh, the Al Green song. There's an Al Green song like "Love and Something," "Love and Happiness," oh, and so they're hating It's and like jealousy. a nod and a wink. That's pretty badass. That I rules, that. man. Damn, Dude, look at that! And I learned Brian Venable didn't play on this record. And yeah, so if you've been listening to this for like you know 30 minutes of us bullshitting about stuff, you might have learned something because I just learned something. Yeah, dude, that's. I had never made that connection and it even more yeah. special. I mean, you know, I'm, all, I'm always going to be a fucking Homer for Memphis. Right. Um, but like for a city that relatively small, it's not, I mean, it's not a small town, but it's also not a huge city by any means. The amount of fucking incredible music and diversity of that music that's come out of there um, is so cool. And also speaking of my friend, Joel from Memphis, um, just as we're talking, just randomly sends me uh, Reach the Sky set from 2000. Um, He's wearing a shirt. And I'm wearing a Reach the Sky shirt. What a weird thing. As soon as we're done, I'm going to be like watching that. Um, I've worn this shirt three times in my life. So that's funny. That's amazing. (laughs) Wow. You're going to say three days in a row. Um, No, I'm I'm wearing this for three months. (laughs) 
I can't take it off because I dislocated my shoulder. So it just sits on me now. <laughs> Dude, every morning taking my shirt off and putting my shirt on has been a, a, a momentary uh, struggle. Oof. But uh, it's getting easier every day. But yeah, that's a banger of a track, man. Hate and jealousy. Yeah. Well, since you already teased, do you want to move on to my record next? That's perfect. Yeah. Gotcha. I uh, brought um, for us to exchange today was uh, Sturgill Simpson's Sailor's Guide to Earth. And um, I'm curious, do either of you know what the deal with this record was? At the, at the time, I didn't, but I, I learned listening here. It's so cool. It's such a cool record. Like I, th the way Sturgill got sold to me was via my old roommate, Paul, kind of just like playing me songs while we were playing chess one night on the porch of our house. And him and my other roommate were like smoking cigars and we were just playing music. And he sold Sturgill to me on playing me a few songs and then explaining this record to me because he had heard an interview with him on NPR where he's explaining it to him or he's explaining what what he wanted to do with this record, which was create something so that if he dies suddenly or if he's not there, his son can reach for this record and at any point in his life find something in somewhere on this record that will give him advice from his dad. And wow. that's like in the opening song when he says like, if I would known it was this easy, I would have done this 10 years ago. Like, or I, I would have done this years ago or whatever. And I think that is just such a cool, like I'm not really a concept album guy, Same. but that's such a cool concept for a record. It really is, man. And I, I think I can't be mean about this, dude. I I will be, be be mean if you want to, but I just I think it's so, I think it's such an interesting thing. And like, not to, like, this isn't one of the songs I want to talk about. But even like, the the Nirvana cover on it, he was like struggling for like what to do about his teenage years. Like, what can I tell him about his teenage years? Like, I I just there's too much. And his wife at the time, or his wife at the time, his wife was like, well, what were you listening to when you were a teenager? And he was like, well, Nirvana. She's like, well, just put a Nirvana song at that point. And that, that can be enough. Wow. That's and cool. that's why that Nirvana covers on there, which I don't think it's really an amazing cover, but I think it's, it's not an good. amazing story for why it's, a it's there. Story. Yeah. It's a great story. It's well, not a really good cover. Well, let me just, I'll, I'll say this really quick. So I, I love the concept of this record. I also love, frankly, that I didn't know about it until after I was a dad myself, because it definitely hit me in the feels in a way that I, you know, before this, I don't think it would have mm -hmm. um, just because I was just like, well, one, I, I had, you know, feelings of, uh, you know, insecurity. I was like, fuck, I need to write a record for my kids. Shit. Um, <laughs> but then but also just so much around like I want to fucking tell you everything. And then I also want to like, but I want you to also be able to like fucking navigate this shit yourself and be your own person. Right. I'll say I had heard two songs off of this record before listening. And now that I've heard the whole thing, I got done wrong because the two songs I had heard are my two least favorite songs on the album. It's the Nirvana cover that at some point somebody had been like, listen to this dude do in bloom. And I was like, oh, I didn't 
that kind of sucks. I, I didn't need this. And then, yeah, I didn't need that. And then the song that apparently was um, the first single on the record, which was Brace for Impact, Live a Little. Um, and still, even according to Spotify, you know, by far the most played song with 32 million streams. And it's, that doesn't hit me, but like so many of the other tracks I really did enjoy. Um, so yeah, this, this got me to explore this record in a way that I'm kind of grateful for the timing, but before I had heard two songs and didn't really pay attention to it because those two songs were not my bag. Tom, Tom, how about you? You want to share your your thoughts on it? Sure. Actually, one of those songs were on the, one of the one of the it was one of the songs I didn't like. Mm. I wrote so this is my first real for I in my head when you like Sergio Simpson, I'm like oh, I like Sergio Simpson. Then I listen to the record, I'm like I don't think I like Sergio Simpson. Like <laughs> I, I like the idea of it. I liked how his like presentation and I like some of the stuff he's done over the years. Like just in general, you know. Um, and I listened to the record, and I, the two slow songs, he sounds like Cleveland from the, from Family Guy. <laughs> <laughs> Holy I, shit. I heard that, that. Like, that was the first thing that popped in my head. I'm like, I'm never going to listen to these songs again. I can't. You are 100% right, man. So if you listen to Breaker's Roar and Brace for Impact, he sounds like Cleveland. And I liked the upbeat songs upbeat quote unquote mm-hmm. yeah. songs far more and i think he sounds like a different singer on those songs i think I he's at, that. i think he is i agree that he is at his best when he's kind of doing that big room country like yes like on the yeah. when when the when the first song breaks into that soul part mm-hmm. and then on um one that of the songs rips. yeah that i wanted to um fucking keep it between the lines Ooh. um that that's one of my favorites because I think his voice is really perfect on that one. He's got yeah, an incredible think, soulful voice for country. Yeah. yeah. Well, keep it between the lines is like the only song on this record that sounds like it could have been on another Sturgill Simpson record is mm. what I, how I feel about that song. His other stuff is more rocking like that. Yeah. Oh it's yeah. Good. And, and well, every, his first two records sound like Waylon Jennings. Mm-hmm. Like that's what he really sounds like. And then this one, he went for like, um, I, I think it might have been, I'm, I I could be fucking this up, but I think Dwight Yoakam might practice in the same building that he was wow. in. Um, and when he was writing this record, there was like some like offhand remark he made about this record because they were practicing this with like full bland, band, full band and horns and like piano and organ and all the different instruments that were going on he was having like rehearsals for the recording of this record and you could like hear it in the hallway and he was like i don't know what the fuck sturgill simpson is doing in this room but it's it's terrifying like whatever he's like whatever he's working on is like way more insane than what i could imagine he was going to do with his next record mm-hmm. um and i do like like a lot of like the the different instruments that he brings into this one like piano and horns and like the funkiness of some of it i think is cool but it's as far as like the slow songs in this record i like that they exist for what they are for the the wholeness of the record but for a concept record i can pick certain songs out and only listen to those songs 
which maybe means it's a disservice to the record as a whole if I can just take out specific songs and go, you know what? I don't need to hear anything else to just enjoy this song alone. Right. But uh, but yeah, the upbeat songs, I can definitely say that my uh, Sea Stories is one of my favorite songs. I think a lot of I like the jargon. I like all the yeah. the military jargon. I think it makes it really like feel real. Mm-hmm. And knowing too that it's, I mean, it's connected to like his story, right? Yeah. And from his do, time I'm, in the navy, I'm a fuck up too. I'm well, a fuck and, up too. And then looking back and going like, I got kicked out of the navy because I had a fucking painkiller addiction, um, and that sucked. But it's also what kept me out of, uh bush's wars yep um because he he you know left the navy right before then um so yeah i mean there's a i appreciate he's got you know like there's political shit in here without beating you over the head um but i also like oh one other thing that i'm just looking at my notes here the horns are the fucking dap kings from brooklyn from Sharon no, Jones, Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's so I, because I, I had, when I was listening, I wrote like, I do appreciate how he can go from this kind of like classic country kind of Waylon Jennings sound and then break into what feels like some real like Stax influence soul. And then I just was like looking up the personnel and I was like, these are the fucking Dap Kings from New York that were Sharon Jones backing band. Right. Um, so, wow. so that's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I'd say my 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 favorite track is probably Keep It Between the Lines. Um the line like do as I say, don't do as I've done. It don't have to be mm-hmm. like father like son. That really that really hit home. Um so and I just it's just a fucking clever line too. So that's probably my favorite track on the record. Yeah, I think knowing what I know now, I'm gonna have to go back and listen to it and maybe like sit with the lyrics. Yeah, dude, the the specifically like the lyrics to see stories are really are really good, especially just the, the jargon is so it makes it feel so lived in. Like right, all right. the all the different um like all the different locations that he drops and just I don't know. I think it's it's also just like a really cool song about like like stumbling around figuring yourself out and i think like it can it applies to whether you're joining the army whether you're trying college whether you're touring in a band whether you're right you know just working a bunch of dead-end jobs like it i don't know to me like it really spoke to me like i like because i feel like i spent like a really long time disappointing my dad that like at a certain point i realized i was like oh like he kind of just like came around to like thinking i'm cool like he definitely thought i was like fucking up for a really long time but then now he kind of sees where like i kind of just like i'm happy and like that kind of became what mattered to him was that like i was like okay and i think like like my because my parents would always like go off on like how like how much they loved that i was straight edge like that was the one thing that they loved was that mm. I didn't do drugs and I, I had a reason not to. And then as like, you know, I just kept doing bands and kept doing music and stuff. I think they just, he, him at least like came around to being like, Oh, my, my son is cool. 
Which is neat. Yeah, my son has records out that people across the world listen to. It's pretty fucking sick. It's awesome. And you go to shows with your dad sometimes. Yeah, he came to the fest. Yeah. You like drug church. He loved drug church. That rules. He came and saw the same age. He came and saw Drug Church when uh, Constraint played with uh, with them, and th- that was like one of the things that brought him back to the fest this year. Was he was Amazing. like, oh, I'll come. He was I'll like, I'm cut. He was like, who's playing? Oh, Drug Church, I'll be there. Yeah. Oh, not the, oh, your friends are not loose. Yeah, whatever. But I'm gonna come see Drug Church. Yeah. He stuck around for a bit of not loose, but, uh, but I mean, yeah. you have to. He also it's thought Kublakon was insane. <laughs> I mean, he's I not mean, wrong. They are. Yeah. Yeah. Really. Fucking absolutely bad shit. Um. Tom, did you have any uh, just just the thoughts on the slow songs, or did you have any 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 positive thoughts on the record? I mean, I think I like the more like quote unquote upbeat stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it just sounds like, and I liked a lot of like the like the stack stuff, like that. Uh, Brian, I, I was calling it like funk in my head, but like that, that sort of like him bringing in the horns and stuff like that. I thought was was a cool addition. Yeah, it was just those two slow songs. I just like. Like once you hear like, oh, this guy sounds like Cartman. You're like, you're never gonna like. I can't listen to like Dynamite without thinking of Cartman. Yeah, <laughs> and it's ruined. Like I, that's what he is now, and that's that is so and, funny. I've never heard that before. And when you hear it, you'll you never might hear have it. To me Tom's up point. Now. No, there's Isn't a. a it's so Dude, like Cartman. Oh, I feel no. like there was an there was an account. I can't remember if it was on Instagram or Twitter or somewhere else where a a a dude was just doing that. Like he would play a song and, go. and then sh- yeah, show the picture. And he did Mr. Brightside with Jerry Seinfeld. Yes, Mr. Brightside by the killers. And it, then, oh. you know, cause I would never think of it. And then I can, you hear it's like, like now. I, yeah. Yeah. That was on, so, on, yeah. That's on Instagram. Cause the guy like he'll play the song. And he's like, you want me to ruin the song for you? And he does like this weird, like very theatrical, like pointing up. And then, like the the picture of the person that it sounds like, and you're like, God, and it's like I'm going to ruin this for you. Any points, and it's ruined. So That's you could do this awesome. then with Cleveland from fucking Family dude. Guy and Sturgill. Next time you listen to it, you're going to be like, But yeah. dude, I totally agree because it's just like his, you know, Tyler. You mentioning Waylon Jennings? That's what he's got in him, and it's like yeah. I feel like when he's got a song where he can really like belt, belt get it, yeah. he yeah. sounds fucking great. But when he tries yeah. to turn it down, it's like, <laughs> you know, like you just don't, you just don't have, you got to sing the big stuff, man. Hey, hey Peter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what would you tell your son when he was, yeah, it just, uh, that was the only thing that threw me off. And I was just kind of like, Oh no. Yeah. I can well, yeah, like you said, it. like that, like kind of like, you know, outlaw shit you're like and the guy can really like belt it but like when he tries to like just bring it back just a little bit to kind of like fit the the song and like the nuances of what he's trying to do with the slower quieter songs it's like i don't know no 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 i totally agree and i i like because the other the other song out in this that i would direct people to pay attention to especially if they can't get through the cleveland stuff they should at least skip and Listen to the last song because "Call to Arms" I think is I think that's the best song on the on the record. That's a really good opinion. song. I, agree I think the this. the lyrics are so cool. Like I mean, like, dude, like so much of of this. Like I mean, again, like listening to this as like a person talking to their son. Like, um, just you can tell how much disdain he has for the American military. Yeah. 
like in a, in my, the two songs that I really like on this record. And I think that I share a lot of that disdain. And but it does, you know, has nothing to do with the American military, it has to do with the American empire and what we do to kids and whatnot. But it's just that the the lyric, well, son, I hope you grow up believing that you don't got to be a puppet to be a man. And I think that's yeah, just, just that. that's just such a cool fucking lyric, dude. It's yeah. just like the, you know, cut off your hair and put a badge in your arm, strip you of your identity. Like, it's just so it's so cool. And dude, and m- me, the the best lyric on this whole fucking record is nobody's looking up to care about a drone all too busy looking down at our phones. Perfect. That's it. That's it. That's it for me. That's, that's, that's how I feel about the world. That's because you don't have cool (laughs) shit on your phone, Tyler. Come on. You you got any games on your phone? (laughs) No, I don't play any games. (laughs) No, I wish I had time. I don't like people playing games on my phone. Dude. What is that from? That's from Chappelle's show. Chappelle. Chappelle's show. That's it. God. Fucking Which great. We reference 400 times a day in another group chat that Tom and I are in, and the other person in it doesn't get any of it. So, dude, Ashley's um, never seen Chappelle's show either. I have to explain entire jokes to her and then go, maybe you just had to be alive then. Well, no. And then I've had that experience with my wife, and then I'll like, we'll go back and watch it. And then, you know, it'll be like highly problematic by oh, today's yeah. standards. And I'm like, uh, well, but but this joke you got what i was doing right um it's so oh my god and usually you can I go, see well, how this is... was funny right <laughs> and i'll explain it to like nick and i'm like you know there's like you know like we have to explain how why it's funny that's the best the, the best kind of jokes are the ones that you have to explain why they're funny i'm like because yeah, right can you just sit it's not that it's only been it was like two two and a half seasons you get some time to sit and watch it. It's like there's so much brilliant stuff on there. Even even for the live the the live show, like the live sets that they do, like the you know the music. Kind of oh for the yeah, time, oh, yeah. Or like Black Star. It's like dude, him driving around most like, death rapping in the car is like the coolest thing iconic, I've ever seen. Iconic man, like and at you know, that like, time too, I was like obsessed with most Def and Talib Kweli at that time too. Like just... I was bought a fucking fedora after that, but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I had one of those. I you know I had the freaking you know winter hat with the little brim on the side no oh yeah it was a good luck yeah oh i had i had one of those too when i when i split my head open and had to get it stapled back together i put a big hole in the hat because i hit it on a brick pillar oh so you're wearing the hat when it, i was like oh. i was wearing the hat when i hit my head and you could hole see, there was a there was a hole in the in the hat Dude. and a hole in my head was that skating yeah god all right it wasn't a mosh mosh roll. we had a no, this was before I was in the mosh pit. Have you have you gone ahead and signed off to donate your brain to science? I think the research will be. I guess yeah, I should do well. that. <laughs> yeah, because I, I I want I want them to be able to take a look at this. Um, I just, yeah, like we got enough football players now. We just need moshers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we need mosh warriors. Um, yeah, now that football is getting too safe. <laughs> <laughs> You're the last extreme athlete, Tyler Short. Yeah. Um, Right on. Should we go on to the last record? Yeah, let's go on to your record, Brian. What'd you bring? So I brought Pieces of the Sky by Emmylou Harris, um, which came out in 1974, um, before any of us on this call were born. Um, On this call, it's a podcast, but I'm on Zoom all day, so this is what I do. Um, (laughs) I first heard Emmylou Harris my freshman year of college on a mixtape that my girlfriend at the time made for me. 
And the song on it was Where Will I Be, which came off of Wrecking Ball, an album she put out in 95. Funny connection here. That was a record that Steve Earle made guest appearances on. And at the same time, Amy Lou Harris made a guest appearance on Train of Coming, which was the record that um, Steve Earle put out that same year. And Amy Lou Harris won a Grammy for that record over Steve Earle and Bob Dylan and the Chieftains. Um, it took me a while to get into this earlier stuff. So this is her second LP. Her first one was called Elite Hotel, which I like. Um, but it took me a while to get into this stuff. Um, partly just aesthetically, like the 70s, kind of like some of the like overly sappy orchestral stuff that's there. And then part of it was also just like access, pre-streaming. Um, mm -hmm. these were not always like the easiest things to find, but, um, I picked this just because I think it, from an era in the seventies where <clears throat> there's, you know, there's a lot of stuff that I appreciate, but none of the things that like made it into my like constant playlist in terms of like Americana and country music, most of that tended to come later, but there's a few songs on this record that like are, are some of my favorites. And, I just love Amy Lou Harris's voice. And then the fact that like, you know, we're going on um, almost 50 years that she's been doing this nonstop and like constantly putting out new material, touring, making guest appearances, all that. So um, respect to Amy Lou for a pretty fucking awesome career. Yeah. My dad um, just went and saw her like a few months ago. That's incredible. Wow. Yeah. She still got it. I hear. That's from, from what I can until too my my exposure to Emily Harris before like when I was a kid was just oh that's something my dad likes mm -hmm. and only in like the last like eight to ten years did I realize like I should probably listen to that stuff my dad likes he might have had some a good, some had a good, good. idea some yeah. of it's good Who I uh, someone like Emily Lou Harris play in 2023 or 2022 whatever it was what'd you say what, what type somewhere? of like what's a venue like that she would play? Is she I think mostly like outdoor amphitheater kind of things. Oh, okay. Yeah. Still draws a good yeah. Oh yeah. You know where she'd play in New York? The like the town hall. Like shit like that. Yeah, right. Like or like or like yeah. jazz at Lincoln Center, that kind of thing. Got it. Uh, Got it. Yeah. Seated venues. Yeah. For sure. Not yeah. a lot of my. No. No. <laughs> not a you know, some, but not a lot. Yo, there's a breakdown on this record. Where is it? I'll get to it when we're talking about music. Well, let's talk about the next incarnation well, record. Yeah. I had one thought about this record though. Yeah. Uh, and and you 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 push you pushing it on uh on me and Tom. Well, first of all, I'm I'm in for this. I really like this. And I I texted you, I was like, when we get done with Steve Earl, I want to dig into Emmy Lou's catalog and talk about that on our mainline episodes. But did Brian try to convert us to Christianity by making us listen to this record, Tom? I think he did. And you know what? I, I might be right. Might this be, is the I closest be, yeah. I've ever felt to believing in Jesus, I think, is listening to this record. Don't don't put that on me, man. Don't Same you don't you put that on me. Don't put that don't put that devil stuff on me. Don't put that on me, Ricky Bobby. <laughs> like hey, legitimately. Brian stuck like, a photo, we weren't paying attention. Yeah. Brian stuck a photo of us? Yeah. But you're the you're the the main character, Tyler. Okay. Yeah. No, I just you know I have you're to. Half an X on your hand. It's a, it's you a ha hammer and. I said he had half of an X on his hand when I. Oh no. 
He has to no. put them together. Oh. Got it. Yeah. And then I got underdog tattoo on my knuckles, but I'm a poser and didn't go see underdog last time I was in New York. Cause I had to play a show. And stuff. Yeah. I was like, you were literally playing a show at the same time, but uh, I would almost <sighs> rather seen underdog. I think. Listen, man, we've talked about if you, a lot of these countries, musicians have an affinity for Jesus Christ. Um, whether or not it's real or more just like a folksy cultural thing. Oh no. Um, I just mean the way she talks about it. Mm-hmm. Sounds nice. Yeah. So maybe so I if, think it's, that's the yeah. closest I've been to the, like, usually right. it's, it's followed with some problematic shit, but the way she talks about it, it sounds nice. So I, yeah, maybe if my first exposure to Christianity was Emmylou Harris, instead of like, you know, overbearing judgmental priests and, you know, like nuns. nuns and naggy, you know, blah, blah, blah. You're going to hell kind of stuff. Maybe I would have a different experience with religion. Um, I can appreciate that. You see, I never had any of those experiences. So uh, I just wasn't around it. <laughs> I remember like okay. I had this I had this funny moment with it. There was another uh, person that I worked with a few years ago who like also grew up Irish Catholic. And it was just really funny to talk to her because <laughs> like she would be like, oh, yeah all my progressive politics and being like anti-war and all that. Like I learned from the nuns and I was like, these were not the nuns that I was around my friend. (laughs) I was like, it's just, I was like, it's fucking dope that you had that experience. But like when I went to fucking mass with my grandmother, it was like the same old, you know, blah, 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 rambling about abortion, even though there was, you know, nothing not relevant at all uh, to the you know topic at hand. That was, that was my experience with it. So um, but yeah, Amy Lou, thank you for introducing us to our Lord and Savior. Yes, thank you for 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 uh, evangelizing to me for the first time <laughs> in my life. <laughs> oh, but yeah, I'm I'm down to get into music though. I just I just wanted to oh. share that thought. Well, but I mean, speaking of the there's the two songs that I like pick out from this record that I think are two of my favorites. If I could only win your love, um, that was one of my awesome. great track. Which turns I don't know who a, Herb Peterson is, but he yeah. It, so this is a cover. Um, yeah, I don't know who Herb Peterson is either. This this was from a group called the Leuven Brothers in 1958. But Amy Lou's version here is what became popular. And I wrote like, this is just how you write a simple but damn good country song. Like I'm a sucker. Incredible. The melody, the way that the male and female harmonies work together. Yep. Um, I don't have to think too deeply about the lyrics. It's just like a very pleasant listen, mm-hmm. you know? So I love that. And then kind of on the opposite end of evangelizing, um, the other song that I really love on this record is Bottle Let Me Down. Um, the title makes it sound like an Edge song, which it's not. Um, but it's it's another like big kind of classic country song, you know, and just this theme around like, I drank all this to forget about you, but I still haven't forgotten. So the bottle left me, let me down. And um, this is one that Amy Lou wrote. And that apparently is like still kind of a raucous staple of her live sets, even, you know, all these years later. Um, so those you know who wrote the song? Who wrote that song? Merle Haggard. Yeah. Merle, Merle Haggard, Haggard wrote that song. Yeah. yeah I'm looking yeah. at the Wikipedia now, which has ah. to be right. Cause- it's crowdsourced. Yeah, the, the Merle um, Haggard version is the version I heard first. Oh, I'd never heard Merle Haggard do it because I'm a poser. Pretty good. So it's pretty good. Hell yeah. Hey, you it's guys wild. have talked about so many things I've never heard before. Fuck yeah. <laughs> this seems like looking at like the track listing, 
She Emily Emily Lou Harris only wrote one song on here. This was the this was how it was at the time, right? Like in Nashville, she's not right. Like you would, yeah. They'd find the art. I mean, I think they still do this in kind of more popular country, right? Like you find the artist you like, and then they would like build the songs around, or you know, like the songwriters would give. But they would buy the songs, right? Yeah, right they were yeah. going to have them do, and that's actually what before before Steve Earle made a name for himself, you know, on his own. That's what that's he what was he doing did. in Nashville was trying to make it as one of these trying to sell songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, like Rodney Crowell. Why? Well, I, I mean, it's a name I even know. He wrote the first song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we uh, we talked about his we on uh, one of the mainline episodes we did about the Heartworn Highways. It's a documentary about some of these uh outlaw country guys of this era and there's a rodney crowell plays it that song on the documentary so we've talked about that before that that's the song with the breakdown mm. Blue Bird Wine has a breakdown. Song and, and there's a beatles cover on here yeah yeah beatles version is better but brian hates the beatles so i'm sure he likes this I version more. hate the beatles when did i ever say <laughs> you're not one of those corpsmen that hate the beatles are you brian I have never said that I hated the Beatles. You said you don't have an affinity for the Beatles very much. That's different. Yeah. They're not like, I'm, I'm very much a, like, if you go into that, like stones or Beatles debate, I'm going rolling stones every time. Um, but I appreciate a lot of what the Beatles did. And I like a lot of the songs. Okay. When we talked about rubber soul, you, you acted like you don't care for it. I don't care for rubber soul. Okay. But they put out a lot of records. So, you know, okay. I'm a well, never fucking mind then. You know, I won't I'm put a, words in your mouth anymore. I'm a you fucking, heard it here. Hardcore Troubadour is broken up. Yeah, and fucking John Lennon did it. Um, <laughs> That's it. My my real dad went to high school with the guy who killed John Lennon. No shit. Or David Chapman. Yeah, in Georgia. Yeah. Really. So there were in in that in that particular high school just outside of Atlanta, there were some fucking real winners. Let me tell you that much. Wow. Mark David Chapman and my dad, whose name was Brad. Um, he was a real piece of shit. But yeah, he he he, he knew, knew that he knew him. Yeah. So that's you know. fucking wow. nuts. So that's huh. my that's my degrees of separation to John Lennon. <laughs> to John Lennon. Jesus. He's like assassin. your father lent a pen to like the guy that killed John, John Lennon one day. Yeah. Yeah. Or like played him in gym. Yeah. That's fucking wild. This was dude. a story. He, he took a bus up from Georgia, walked around a hotel room naked, reading the catcher in the rye over and over again. Like it was, I mean, he Big was mistake. having a psychotic break. Um, yeah. And then, you know, went and it was public knowledge, you know, that John Lennon he lived, was, at the lived at the Dakota on 79th street and, you know, would would come out and sign autographs and shit for people, and just walked up and shot him. Fucking gnarly, dude. So, yeah. Can you imagine that though? Like, I couldn't imagine that as being around for that and like being conscious of like who John Lennon was. Mm-hmm. Like, just being like, oh yeah, some dude, random dude, shot him on the street. Yeah. Although it probably happens now more often than it did back then. How many times do you hear about people, famous people getting people shot? knowing where people live? <laughs> well, that I mean, but it was yeah. so overt that like. You know, like everyone, yeah. like the Dakota was famous because he lived there. Yeah. That him and you were to live there. Yeah. Like, like people, every day there would be people like outside because they wanted to see John and Yoko, you know, and they would come and wave and as they were like getting in a cab or whatever. And like, 
So yeah, they, they, were, they were not hard to find. No. Um, I don't know how I got on that. Oh yeah. So, you know, I'm we're fine talking with about the, the Beatles. I'm fine with the Beatles, even though I'm, I guess, partly responsible for John Lennon's death. I don't know how that works. I mean, in a uh, random way. Yeah, yeah. But I thought, I love Emmy Lou Harris's voice. Her voice is incredible. Very 70s. Very 70s. Mm, and it's funny. 70s. So I'm like doing a little research. I like this whole song, Boulder to Birmingham. Mm-hmm. Me too. Which is about Graham Parsons. Oh. And when you mm. think about what this record sounds like and the vibe, it's got a California vibe for... My dad told me if I like if I like Amy Lou, I need to dig into Graham Parsons. Because I feel like Graham Parsons had like that sort of like because this is recorded in California, which was probably rare mm-hmm. back then. Yeah, because um, this was all you know, all, all Nashville shit. Yeah, yeah, at that time. Yeah, but I feel like you know like there was like seventies like there's like those seventies records that had a very like California sort of vibe, like at, like from the Beach Boys on. Yeah, mm-hmm. that had a very sort of like, and I feel like this has more of a California-ish vibe for a country record. I can totally hear that. There's something about the melodies and like the reverb and just like kind of how big yeah, certain things totally sound, you know, like the like the the layers of sound, you know. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, so I realized today when I was looking up the track list because I wanted to look up uh, who I wanted to look up one of the songs to see if. I wanted to look up who wrote some of these songs so I could know who uh, who I'm actually liking if uh, if it wasn't Amy Lou who wrote them and realized that on the original version, the last two songs that are on Spotify, California Cotton Fields and Hank and Lefty, those aren't on the... Uh, they're not on the record, yeah. They're not I know, that's the version so. I listened to as well. So I had a favorite song that apparently wasn't on the record, which was Hank and Lefty. Mm. And I... If we're not counting those songs, then then uh, Boulder to Birmingham makes my favorite songs on this. Thing. I did like the Hank and Lefty song too. I was posing, dude. I, I looked up I looked up the dude who wrote it, and now I've downloaded one of his records. I'll listen to it today. It's pretty good. And who is that? Uh, Smokey something. <laughs> Smoking Joe. Yeah. It is fuck. Smokey Robinson. No, um, also, no, Sto- well, Stony, Stony Edwards, Stony, Stony Edwards. Edwards. Well, and I'll tell yeah, you this. I mean, even you know, obviously, this is a record that's been around for a very long time. But since the age of streaming, "Boulder to Birmingham," "Boulder to Birmingham" is hands down the most popular song on this record. It's got 23 million streams. The wow. next closest is "Bluebird Wine" with three million. Um, most of the others aren't even close to one. So this is clearly like makes a lot of people's playlists that aren't aren't exploring the rest of the record. You know, it's a great song. Yeah, it made my playlist. I added it to my uh, my non hardcore playlist. Yeah, that I've got going. It's got six songs on it, but whatever. You know, um, <laughs> but yeah, I thought like, you, you know, dude. It's got it's. I'll 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 tell you how many songs is is on it, or at least how many you. hours how many hours it is. It is. 119 hours we're all very we're all very impressed tyler (laughs) um um but i think uh i was gonna say yeah looking at so i was like oh i mean i knew hank williams just because my dad listened to hank williams back then and Mm -hmm. it's crazy to think how much of an impact like like literally everyone in a certain era like loved hank williams like i didn't realize he was that big of a deal Mm -hmm. you know and then the lefty frizzell who i didn't know nearly as much 
You know, that guy did a little time for. Uh, oh yeah, he did. He did some time for something real bad. Mm-hmm. Some statutory. Uh, mm-hmm. uh-huh. He he was a diddler. Yeah, his first big song was a letter to his wife from jail. Wow. So yeah, I'm surprised that made the cut. Not on your cut. I mean, that's fine. But I'm saying like that. They didn't. Yeah, try. I'm. I'm curious how known that that information was then, because they didn't have uh, Wikipedia that they could just look up at any given time. Sure. People had to find out things because someone told them. This is true. That this is true. true. It's always fascinating to me how you know pre pre internet, which stories like whether true Survive. or not went, went yeah. viral. You know, um, yeah. Like how had everybody heard like X? You know, rumor about Richard Gear. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like that. We'd all heard it, but how? How? How did that? I happen? think South Park told me. Oh. No, that is this when I was a kid. Yeah. It's so it's been around. Bob for bon Jovi had something. Yeah. Marilyn Manson was the was one of the guys. Uh, from yep. Mm-hmm. Twenty years, like you know. Mm-hmm. All those. Oh yeah. They they used to say he was like the the tall skinny friend, Fred Savage's yeah. friend from the Wonder Years, right? Yep. Which not true. Um, no. His real name is Brian, and he's from Florida. Um, yeah, and he's a piece of shit too. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he is a piece of shit. I will re- remember though one of my favorite things from, like you know, his earlier run before we knew any of that was like, you know, they would make up all those stories about like oh, and then and they give out all these drugs at the Marilyn Manson show, and he was like, anybody who knows me knows that's not true. If there were drugs around, I would not be giving them away. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. So he's like, who's really the sick person here? I didn't tell you this stuff. You all came up with it. Um, he loved it. He did love it. Um, oh, but yeah, I, at the end of the day, right? Like, I, I, I can't front and say that Amy Lou is like one of my all-time favorite artists. But when you just talk about like enduring and that voice and that even... I love this stuff and Wrecking Ball, which is a record I recommend that came out 21 years after this. Um, You know, her voice was still incredibly powerful. And then fast forward another damn almost 30 years since then. And she's still Still performing um, and and still putting stuff out. So um, shout out to Amy Lou and fellas, this was a lot of fun. There's one one more song that I really like that I wanted to say something about the before believing song, which is where the pieces of the sky. Yes, that that gets pulled from. Mm-hmm. I think that is such. I think it's such a sweet song, and I think it it really speaks to like when we we do talk about like the positives of religion, and like where you know your your nun friends at the um arguing against capital punishment like sometimes people come out on the right side of things Mm -hmm. i think that her like the way the way religion spoke to her as a you know if you're looking at somebody and you're watching the world crash down upon them like could like what would you do to help them like would you do something like and i think that's like and not to be like a on a what would jesus do like sort of a wristband thing but like i mean this is 1972 when she wrote this like that shit wasn't like trendy at that time and i think like i don't know i think it's really it's really cool that she i don't know was like brave enough i guess to be like 
that uh that vulnerable about like empathy i guess mm. and especially in like country music i don't know i think it's a really pretty song and i think it's uh and it's a beautiful sentiment and whatnot I just my thoughts that. yeah tyler thank you for adding that really appreciate it nice um, way to end. yeah nice way to end tom thank you so much for joining us and and, for yeah, thank you, tom. and if you a lot of fun that for some reason haven't yet listen to axe to grind which is tom's podcast um or his bands or his bands i mean axe to grind is the if you listen to this you'll hate my band yeah true maybe 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 i can i we don't have a ton of listeners but i from the interactions i've had with folks who have reached out i think there's an interesting mix of hardcore kids who happen to like this music kind of like us and also some folks that like literally i think discovered it like looking for like steve earl shit like just searching right, you know, like you search. finding That's the cool, terms. Yeah. So, so yeah, like we've, we've got a, an interesting mix of folks and we appreciate everybody that um, listens to our nerdy country music podcast, but uh, Tom of indecision, most precious blood and the ax grind podcast. Thank you so much, my friend. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, everybody have a good night. Peace. Peace. <laughs>